Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. We've been in a Sunday morning series on the Beatitudes, and uh, we'll be wrapping that up today with the final message in this series entitled The Properties of Persecution. I have enjoyed immensely this series on the Beatitudes, and in reference to the message today, Jesus promised us two things will happen if you decide to walk this Christian path and live a godly life. Two things are promised. One, the world will persecute you. And number two, God will bless you. So please enjoy today. All right, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We, for over two months now, we have been going through the Beatitudes one at a time to really understand this thing and what they mean. And today is our last message in the Beatitudes. And uh, man, I tell you what, when we get done with this, y'all going to have this thing memorized. Uh, you're going to know the Beatitudes. And uh, so Matthew chapter 5. Um, if you have your place in your Bible, if you're physically able one last time, let me invite you to stand as we read the Word of God. We'll begin reading in verse number 1 and read all the way through them down to verse number 12. The Bible says, When Jesus saw the crowds, He went up on the mountain, and after He sat down, His disciples came to Him. He opened His mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The title of the message this morning is The Properties of Persecution. The Properties of Persecution. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord is... We study this section of Scripture that means so much to so many Christians that is so precious to your children. Lord, as we study your words, Lord, today, I pray that you would speak to us from the Word of God. May the Holy Spirit teach us today and be with us as we try to understand the words that you've given us in, in your Bible. Be with us this morning as we study. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, one review, one last review of the Beatitudes. And what this is, is this is a sevenfold, so far, this is a sevenfold description of a Christian life. Each Christian starts out in the same way. The first three you could call the root system of the Beatitudes, and really it's the root system of any Christian. The first thing you have is you have poor in spirit. You have spiritual poverty. 
And what this is, is realizing you have nothing to offer God. You have nothing He wants. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can say to please God. You are spiritually and totally bankrupt, knowing that the only good thing about us is God Himself. But we, are, we start in, po- in spiritual poverty. Spiritual poverty leads us to the next step, which is mourning. This is a mourning over sin. This is a mourning over the effects of sin. This is mourning over our sinful condition. We mourn with our sin. We admit to God that our sin is wrong and how sinful we are. What this does, it leads us to the next step, which is meekness. Meekness before God, meekness before man. This is a humbleness, a meekness, a humbleness, power under control, self-discipline. This is a meekness before God. Now with this in place, what grows from this root system is a life, a life that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Now here's the thing. This life that hungers and thirsts for righteousness, it shall be filled. And what that means is it only shall be filled. The only people that will be filled are those who hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. Because if you hunger and thirst for anything else, you will not be filled. This is the only thing. Not only will you be filled by hunger and righteousness, but one day in heaven will be ultimately filled with the righteousness of God. So as this righteousness comes into us as we hunger and thirst for it, the righteousness also goes out of us. It flows in us and it flows out of us as a river of righteousness. And so one of the first fruits of this life is mercy. You cannot be a merciful person if you've never received mercy. Only when you truly receive mercy Can you be a merciful person? And then once you become a merciful person, then guess what you get from God? You get more mercy. The Bible says you can go boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy. So now I've received mercy from God. Now I can receive even more mercy. What this leads me to now is something called pure in heart. Now, we have to be careful because pure in heart is not sinlessness. That is not what it means. Pure in heart is singleness of life. It is focused on solely on Christ. Paul said this. He said, look, I'm not perfect and none of us are. We None of us are perfect. Paul said, I'm not perfect, but there is one thing I can do. I can leave behind the world and focus solely on Christ. And that's what being pure in heart is. It's singleness. It's not being torn between two masters, God and mammon. You never fully focus on the world, but then you never fully focus on God. And that's a double-minded person. We have to be singleness focused on Christ. And when we're focused on Christ, His Word will cleanse us. His blood cleanses us. His, His, His Spirit cleans us up and polishes us and sanctifies us until our ultimate sanctification one day in heaven. Now James 3 tells us that first we are pure, then peaceable. So we know from the Bible that from purity, the next step is peace. This is what we went over last week is called being a peacemaker. 
When we experience, and this peace, it's not United Nations type peace. It's not the type of peace that a politician is going to give you. This peace is specifically peace from God. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace to what the world thinks is peace. The peace I'm bringing is peace with God. As a Christian, once you've made peace with God, he puts you in a ministry that we talked about, the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation, you are a peacemaker now in his service. And the Bible says uh, that we spread the gospel of peace. We talked about last week how when we spread the gospel of peace, a lot of times in the Bible, most of the time when it talks about the gospel of peace, it talks about the feet, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Because as ambassadors of God, as peacemakers in this ministry, we spread this peace to all others. And we want other people to experience the peace with God. Because listen, where the gospel goes, peace follows. Not only this, but I, I, I'm in peace with my neighbor. I'm in peace with, uh, with, with uh, the, my neighbors around me. Now, up to this point, this is what a Christian has done. And that's what these, that's what these, uh, this, that's what these do. This is what a Christian has done. The last attitude, though, the last beatitude talks about the world's response. This is the world's response to us. Now, Christ makes it clear. Christ makes it very clear. If we decide to live this life, two things will happen. Number one, you will be persecuted by the world. And number two, God will bless you. Those are the two things that will happen. Now, in our text verse, which is verses 10, 11, and 12, I want you to notice that the word persecution is mentioned three times. And when it's mentioned three times, you can guarantee it, you can mark it down, you can be for certain it's going to happen. The word persecution, it means harassed, it means opposed, it means ill-treated. We can look all throughout the course of history and we can see God's people being treated like this. We can go all the way back to the very beginning. Let's go all the way back to the second man ever born. His name was Abel. And Abel was murdered by the first man ever born. His name was Cain. And why was Abel murdered? He was killed because of his worship of God. That's why he was murdered. He was killed because of his worship with God. A.W. Pink sums this up in a statement. Let me read it for you. Joseph was persecuted by his brothers and in Egypt was cast into prison for righteousness sake. Moses was reviled again and again. Samuel was rejected. Elijah despised and persecuted. Nehemiah was depressed and defamed. Stephen was stoned. Peter, John cast into prison. James was beheaded. The entire course of the Apostle Paul's life and ministry was one long series of bitter and relentless persecutions, end quote. How many people could we add to this list? We could add a list of all the disciples. 
Every one of the disciples were martyred for their faith, hung or stoned or crucified, upside down, filleted alive. And the only disciple of Christ that didn't die a horrible death was John. And even then, John was severely persecuted. He was boiled in oil. That's not fun. That's not a crawfish boil I want to go to. He was boiled in oil. He was, he was, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Even though he didn't, he, he, his life was spared, he still suffered horrendous affliction and persecution. I want you to notice that the churches that the letters of the New Testament are written to we're being persecuted. Philippians 1.29, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. There was a church planted in the town of Philippi, and as soon as that church was planted, you know, it, it began suffering because of the gospel. It was the same with the church in Thessalonica, 2 Thessalonians 1.4. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This church in Thessalonica, they were born in persecution. I'm here to tell you today that persecution follows God's people. Persecution follows the church. I want to examine persecution today. I've got three properties of persecution that I want to study from the Word of God this morning. And the first property of persecution is I want to talk about the reason for persecution. The reason for persecution. Let's look at verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. So number one, for righteousness sake. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So the first reason is for righteousness sake. And number two is for Christ's sake. Jesus said, you are persecuted because of me. Persecution comes on you because of the name of Jesus. Listen, uh, uh, just, just like Samuel, when the people of Israel told Samuel, Samuel, we want a king. And Samuel tried to talk them out of it. And he said, no, you really don't want a king. Here's what a king is going to do to you. Here's what a king is going to do to your kids. And then they said, no, we want a king like all the other nations around us. And finally, God said, Samuel, it's okay, give them a king because they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Christian, when you are rejected, it's not because of you. They're not really rejecting you. Who they're really rejecting is Christ. Who they're really rejecting is Jesus. We get more detail about the reason for this persecution, I believe in John, 19, John 3, 19 and 20. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who, does, who, evil hates the, who is evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. See, the light is Jesus. The message that carries the light is the gospel. And man hates the light because we love sin. We love it. 
We can't get enough of it. It is in our nature to love sin. And what the light does is it sheds light on our sin. It shows us our sin. It convicts us of our sin. And a Christian worldview is offensive to the prince and power of this world, old smutty face himself, Lucifer, Satan. Our worldview is offensive to him. Our worldview is offensive to his children. The children of this world, the children of the devil, they will always be intolerant of the truth. Why? Because they hate the light and love the darkness. And that is the basis for this persecution. They love darkness. And here's the thing about persecution. Don't be surprised when it happens to you. Don't be shocked. In fact, the Bible says we actually should expect it. Peter's writing to a very large group of churches that that is experiencing hard persecution. And he says to them in 1 Peter 4, 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. He says, look, don't, don't be surprised when persecution comes your way because you, you, you should expect it. You know, don't be shocked and say to yourself, oh, nobody has ever went through what I'm going through. And that's because that's not true. I guarantee you there have been other Christians that have suffered way worse than we in America here have suffered. I guarantee you that. It's just like that guy. Remember that guy from the men's warehouse commercials? He'd do his commercial and at the end he'd say, I guarantee it. Well, I guarantee you that we have not been through persecution here in America as other Christians have been persecuted and experienced. 1 Peter 3.14, But even if you should suffer... For the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Peter here repeats the beatitude. He says, you will be blessed because of persecution. Don't fear. Don't be troubled. Don't be intimidated by them. And there's a paradox here. And the paradox is is as you're being persecuted, at the same time, you are being blessed. I know sometimes when we experience persecution, we don't feel blessed. But let me tell you something. There are unseen things at work that we might not can see in the moment, but we are actually being blessed when we're being persecuted. Listen to this verse, 2 Timothy 3.12. Listen to this. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And that's a pretty emphatic statement, isn't it? I mean, he just kind of sets it out there. Let's read it again. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He's saying, you see these beatitudes? See this good godly life that I laid out for you? If you decide to live this life, you will be persecuted by the world but you will also be blessed. You will also be blessed. But it is certain the persecution 
is going to come. We have to be willing to be considered strange. We have to be willing to be rejected for the sake of Christ. We have to be willing to be an outcast for the name of Jesus Christ and for His Gospel. John 15, 20, Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will keep yours as well. Jesus looks at his followers and says, Look, if they've come after me, they're going to come after you. And some of the same things they did to me, they're going to do to you. Maybe not everything, but a lot of the same things. See, what this beatitude does for the Christian is it sets the expectation the human, you want to know the reason for persecution? The human race loves darkness. They hate the light. Jesus is the light. We are his light bearers. We bear his light. And that's why they hate us. And that's why they'll persecute us. So that's the reason for the persecution. Number two, I want to talk about the nature of the persecution. Let me give you some quick facts about these verses here. Let's just read verse 10 again. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. I want you to see that verses 10 and 11 are not two different beatitudes. These are, in fact, one beatitude. But I want, what I want you to notice about it is that in this one beatitude, there is a double blessing. There's always in the New Testament, as you study it, there's always a double blessing associated with persecution. As you read through the New Testament, what you see is when we get to persecution, we're always talking about extra rewards. So the New Testament echoes this double blessing. I want you to also notice that all of the Beatitudes up to this point have been in the third, third person. Blessed are those, for they shall receive this, for they shall inherit this, for they shall get this. But in the second part of this Beatitude, it switches from, fir- from third person to first person. It says, blessed are you. So now persecution has made this more personal. Persecution has intensified this. Persecution has made this life more intense, has, uh, has grown it more. And we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, but there's always a double blessing associated with it. So under nature of persecution, there's, a me- there's two methods of persecution. The first method of persecution is persecution of hand. Persecution of hand. We've discussed Stephen and the apostles. We've discussed the martyrs. It goes back much further. I would suggest that one, at one time, at one time in every Christian's life, they need to read Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can get it free online. You can read it online for free. Every Christian needs to read the Fox's Book of Martyrs and see the horrendous affliction that the early church suffered. In this book, what you'll see is you'll see a lot of what we've talked about uh, already, but what you'll see is there's one, one Roman emperor in particular, and his name was Nero. Nero, at one point, 
He didn't like the way the buildings looked in Rome. He wanted to rebuild them. Rome did not. So Nero had his soldiers set Rome on fire. And as Rome is burning, he climbs the top of his tower. And on his tower, he dances as Rome burns around him to show you just how cray-cray this guy really is. So he's dancing as Rome burns. And when the fire is over, Nero makes a proclamation. And he says, look, it's the Christians that set the fire. So now all this intense persecution is coming on the Christians. One of the most famous stories that Nero did in his persecution against the Christians is he would take Christians that are, were still alive, dip them in tar, tie them to poles, and light them on fire while they were still alive to light his garden at night. One of the early church fathers said, the blood of the martyrs are the seeds of the church. I'm here to tell you today, it is very hard to get an accurate number of Christians that are being killed today, but make no mistake, Christians are being martyred for their faith even today. A study was done in 2011. It was the most extensive study done on this subject, and it showed that a little over 105 1,000 Christians in 2011 were martyred for the cause of Christ. That is one Christian every five minutes. That's not a medieval number from years past. No, no, no. That is a modern number. And with the underground church in Afghanistan being slaughtered, no doubt this number has only increased. So the first persecution is persecution of hand. The second type of persecution, let's read verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So first is persecution of hand. Second, it's persecution of tongue. Okay, now listen, persecution of tongue may not be as severe as persecution of hand, but the Bible defines it as persecution nonetheless. To revile it means to slander, to insult, and intimidate. Did you know that the early church, did you know they were called atheists? Did you know that? You see, the pagans would go into these churches, and in the, in the, in the pagan pantheon, there's all these different idols set up, all these different idols that were worshipped, but in God's church, they worshipped the invisible God. They didn't have a graven image. They would just worship the one true invisible God. And so word would get around that, hey, this is a church full of atheists. They don't even believe in gods. Don't go there. Did you know that the early church was also, uh, they were also called cannibals? Because they would teach when you partook of the Lord's Supper that, uh, that, that it represented the body of Christ and it represented the blood of Christ and word got out and the churches were called cannibals and all this filth and all this, all this slander would come against the church and keep people from coming in their doors. I'll never forget. I'll never forget the first time I was mocked in school for being a Christian. I was sitting at the cafeteria at North Pike in Summit, Mississippi. It was middle school. And I bowed my head to pray for my food. 
and everybody just stared at me. It was like the whole lunchroom stopped. And man, I was mocked for that. Now listen, let me say this. This is just my example. I am nothing special. I guarantee you there are people in this church right now who, who have experienced far worse than I have experienced. But what I'm telling you today is it still happens today. Our schools and our universities, they promote atheism. They promote an immoral lifestyle um, that they, they, they're introducing to our children at a very young age. These alternate lifestyles, sinful agendas are being pushed down our kids' throat, uh, throats against the parents' wishes. But if you as a Christian stand up and take a biblical stand against some of this stuff, you're mocked relentlessly. You become a social outcast. You become canceled. You can lose your reputation. You can lose your job. You can lose your livelihood. You can be silenced on social media because you don't fit the worldly narrative. It still happens today. Which if you'll forgive me, I have to go off on a little rabbit trail right now. I have to go off on a little rabbit trail. It is not my job to stand up here and tell you who to vote for. It's not. Now, what it is my job to do is to teach you the principles in this book to help you develop a Christian worldview, and that guides your voting. It is not my job to stand up here and give you medical advice. I am not a doctor. I am not a nurse. I never wanted to be any of those things. I never took the MCATs, okay? I, I, I never did that. It's not my job to do that. It is my job, however, to preach Christ crucified. And like I said, it is my job to teach the Bible, the principles of this book, to help us develop a Christian worldview to help you make those choices. But listen to me. It's getting closer and closer to where Christians are going to have to start making some hard choices and are making hard choices today. Let me say this. I really don't care what your view on the vaccine is. I really don't. If you want it, get it. If you don't want it, don't get it. And don't look down on anybody else for whatever their choice is. You make that decision on your own for you and your family we all have to make our own decisions on that. But let me tell you something. The government forcing you to put something in your body against your will goes against religious liberty of Romans 14. It absolutely does. I would not be doing my job if I did not give you a biblical principle that has to do with what's going on with current events. Okay? Romans 14 makes it very clear that if the Bible does not address something specifically, I believe it's Romans 14, 5 says, each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. And if I force something on you that you are not fully convinced of, it is ungodly sin. Okay? Listen, and here's the reasoning behind it. The reasoning behind it is because nobody is going to stand before God for our choices but us. 
Nobody's going to stand before God, but our choice is for us. So if somebody forces a choice on you that isn't spelled out in this Bible, it goes against uh, your soul liberty. We're talking about, we're talking about persecution coming. Persecution is here. People losing their jobs. Oh, you don't have to do this, but, you know, uh, if you don't, we'll fire you. That's forcing. Man, you lose your job, you lose your livelihood. What am I going to take my kids out on the street? Oh, but it's the law, and aren't you supposed to obey the law? Supposed to obey the authority over you? Let me tell you something. The government does not own your body. And if you're a Christian, guess what? You don't even own your body. God owns your body. And what does the Bible say? Render under Caesar that which is Caesar's, but unto God that which is God's. I am 1,000% against a mandate. We do not live in a show-me-your-paper society. Look, I've got an entire message I'm planning on preaching on soul liberty in the coming new year. And I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't give you a biblical perspective about what's going on in the world today. I'm not here to make your decisions for you. I'm to teach the Word of God so you can make your own decisions. Because we all, each individually, will give an account for ourselves. Okay, that was a rabbit trail. Back on track. But listen, it, we're talking about persecution here. Man, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't bring this up in a message about persecution. But here's, what, here's the thing. When you're ridiculed, when you're mocked, when you do lose your job, you are blessed at the same time. You know why? Because you know what persecution stimulates in a Christian? Growth. Persecution stimulates maturity. There was a pastor many years ago who was jailed for preaching the gospel in a foreign country. He was jailed and he spent eight months in jail. And when he got out of jail, he said, those eight months I spent in jail, I got closer to God than I ever did the decades before. Opposition causes growth. Acts 14.22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Look, these, these things are good for you. They'll strengthen you. They'll grow you. They'll mature you. Persecution has a sanctifying effect on the Christian. It has a sanctifying effect on the church. It drives us closer to Jesus. Look, I know some of you in here today, you know what it's like to be persecuted for your faith. You know what it's like. Maybe you've been persecuted at school. Maybe you've been made fun of and persecuted at your job. Maybe you've been persecuted and mocked in your family. But you know what it's like to be persecuted. But know this, know what this does. It strengthens us. It grows us. It matures us. It establishes us. And then it's going to do the next point. We've got the outcome of persecution. This is my third and final point this morning. The outcome of persecution. Let's read verse 12. Rejoice and be glad for your reward. Your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know what you'll get? 
Great blessing is what you'll get. I'm going to read 1 Peter 4.12 again, but this time I'm going to read all the way down to verse 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation uh, of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of God and of glory rests on you. Know what it says to do when you reviled? It says rejoice. You know what that word rejoice is? It's an imperative. It means it's a command. When we are persecuted, we are commanded to rejoice. Man, I, sometimes when you're persecuted, you don't feel like rejoicing. But you have to remember that what's going on here is you are partaking in the sufferings of Christ. Man, I'm not going through everything that Christ went through. But some of the things I'm going through is some of the same things that Christ went through when he died and he had to be buried and he rose again. I'm taking in the sufferings of Christ. And you know what persecution means? Persecution, persecution on you for being a Christian means you're doing something right. means you're doing something right. Get this. I couldn't believe this. I was reading an article the other day, and this comedy troupe put on a skit and put it on the Internet, but it was deemed offensive to Muslims. But you know what the Internet did? They took it down. From every site, everywhere, everybody agreed to purge this video like it never existed. Do you think for one second they would do that for Christians? For one second, do you think they would do that for us? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And so the fact that we are being persecuted and people don't care, it means we're doing something right. We are doing something right. You know what this verse just said? It said the persecution is proof that the Spirit of God rests on me. Look, if I was to meet an honest atheist that would honestly tell me the truth, every atheist, deep down, if they're honest, would love for there to be proof that the Spirit of God rests on them. They would love that proof. Well, for a Christian, you know what that proof is? It's persecution. Persecution is proof that I'm doing something right, that I'm doing the right thing, that I'm on the right side. It is proof that the Spirit of God rests on me, and that is something we should rejoice in. Peter and John were preaching in the temple. They healed a man. They were jailed because of this, and Man, uh, they were in the jail that night and the angel of the Lord came and, and the, the, the doors of the jail opened and they got to the, in the middle of the night and they got to the temple just as the sun rose and they went to the temple and they began preaching again. The council came to get, came to get Peter and John and they were nowhere to be found. They heard word, they were back preaching. The council went and they arrested them, brought them before the council and said, I thought we told you not to, not to prophesy in this name. And Peter looked at that council and said, I will obey God rather than men. 
They were beaten and sent out. And Acts 5.41 says, So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Worthy to suffer shame. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are arrested. They're thrown in jail. And they're in jail and they're singing psalms, they're singing hymns, they're singing, I heard an old, old story. And, and they began to sing these songs. They sang about the old rugged cross. And I know the song wasn't around yet, but they sang songs and hymns like that. And I, 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 as they were singing these songs, what happened is there was an earthquake and the doors swung open. And then the jailer came in and he saw the doors open and they said, oh no, they're going to kill me if, if, if these prisoners uh, escape. And he was ready to fall on his sword. And Paul yelled out, stop, don't, we're still here. And then the jailer said, I want to be a Christian too. And somebody was saved because of their persecution. There were three Hebrew boys, three teenagers in Babylon King Nebuchadnezzar put out a decree. It said, when, when the music plays, I want everybody to bow down to the image that I have set up. And I bet you could just see it. The music plays and a sea of people bow down. But there were three Hebrew teenagers, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah. You might know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three Hebrew boys, they would not bow down. He said, go get them and bring them to me. They brought the three Hebrew boys there. They put the, the wood in the furnace and they got the furnace seven times hotter than it usually is. And Nebuchadnezzar looked at those three Hebrew boys and said, when the music plays, I'm going to give you another chance. I want you to bow down before this image. And if you don't, I'm going to throw you into the burning, fiery furnace and let's see your God help you then. And those three Hebrew boys, they looked back at that king and they said, listen here, old Nebuchadnezzar, our God has the power to save us but even if he doesn't we still will not bow down to your image the music played and they didn't bow down they were bound up with ropes they were thrown into the fire the fire was so hot that it killed the guards that threw them in after a minute, that king got up and he peered inside of that fiery furnace and he looked and then he looked back and he looked and he looked back and then he looked one last time and he looked back to the people and he said, how many people did we throw in? And they said, we threw in three. And he said, then why do I see four? And the fourth is as the Son of God. When you're persecuted, Christ shows up. Christ shows up when you're persecuted. What did Paul say? For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. You can't threaten me with heaven. You cannot do it. What Jesus say, Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who will kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. He said, don't fear those around you. All they can do is they can just affect your body. I am more powerful. I can affect body and soul. I have more power than them. Don't fear those around you. Fear instead God, because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, Christian. Persecution is going to come. Don't bow down to it. If, you, if God is on your side, who can be against you? 
Nobody can stand against you. Martin Luther, a famous reformer, wrote many famous hymns. Probably the most famous hymn that he wrote was called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I sung this song many years growing up, not knowing it was written by Martin Luther. Okay? Now, here's the thing. You know what us good Baptists do? Us good Baptists, we like a fried chicken, and we love to skip that third verse, don't we? We'll pick up that hymn, and there'll be a four-verse song, and we'll skip that third verse every time. That's what good Baptists do. We skip the third verse. So what I would like to do today to end out this message, it was I would like to read for you the third verse of A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And here's how it goes. And though this world with devil's field should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure, and one little word shall fail him. Don't fear this world. Fear God. Here it is. We've been through all eight of them. The Beatitudes is what a Christian life looks like. This is a godly life. Two things I want to say. Number one, are you a Christian? Have you decided to take this journey? I'm telling you, it's worth it. Yes, the world's going to persecute you, but the blessings and rewards that come with this life are greater than anything this world has to offer. But number two, there might be a Christian in here today that you're on this path, but there may be an area that you're struggling with. That's okay. We're still going to struggle. But at the end of the day, we give it over to God and He will grow us. He will mature us. Does our life look like this?